take your copy of the Bible and open with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of that book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, you get to your New Testament, go through your Gospels, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then you'll get to uh, First, if it helps you, it's uh, page one one seven two in my or seven three in my Bible. All of us will help you find it in yours. But I want to uh, spend a few minutes talking to you. I don't know if you've made if you've made resolutions or if you if you jotted down some goals for the year or anything else. But uh, a new year does provide us with the opportunity to uh, to renew our resolve or to make some commitments, and among all the goals or resolutions that you might make, I, or that you maybe have already made, I would ask that uh, if you would consider making this one of your goals for every day of your life in this year, would you consider making it your goal to walk in a way that pleases God? Now, I'm not asking you to consider that because it's January 1st. I'm asking you to consider that to be your goal for the rest of your life because walking in a way that pleases God is an expectation that God has for those who desire to follow him. Around the year 50, the year 0050, the year 50, maybe the year 51, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And among the things he taught them in that letter was how to walk in a way that honored and pleased God. So this morning, I want us to look at part of that letter he wrote, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want to challenge us to, to walk this way, to walk that way. I'm, I'm a few hours late uh, trying to kind of help us understand how to ring in the new year. So since some of you have already rung, let's go ahead and think about how do we walk in this new year. And apologies if you thought I was going to sing the song that accompanies the title slide. I won't do that to you today. Last week, Santa put in my stock. I meant to bring it today. Santa put into my stocking a little uh, device that has several options. And one of the options, you can push a button and it makes a noise. And one of the buttons is cricket sounds. And I like, that's the one I need for Sunday mornings. So when I bring that in the future and you act like you stayed up too late last night, uh, I'll push that button, okay? But until then, how do we walk this way? How is, well, let's, just, let's see what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you, the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not, who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly, walk properly before outsiders, and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Asleep in that verse is a synonym for those who have died. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to share with you what I believe Paul is teaching us about how to walk in a way that will honor and please God. And they're they're very simple things to hear and understand. They're much more challenging to put into practice, but they are a challenge nonetheless. First is this, make it your goal to walk in holiness. Make it your goal to walk in holiness. The people at this church to whom Paul writes are people who already practice holiness. That's why he says in verse 1, this is how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing. You're already doing this church that you may do so more and more. So this was not a rebuke from Paul, which he tends to do in some of his letters to have to rebuke some people. Rather, it was an affirmation from Paul, that these Christians continue to walk in holiness. If you are currently walking in holiness, then I I pray that you would receive Paul's words in the same way as an affirmation, as encouragement to continue to walk in holiness. However, maybe your walk in holiness has become more of a limp. Or maybe it's become more of a stagger. If that be the case in your life today, would you receive these words of Paul as a challenge to walk in holiness in this new year? They say, Pastor, how do you do that? Great question. Paul helps us understand how we walk in holiness. He says, for example, that walking in holiness, it involves the right attitude behind obedience. 
That you maybe have heard the story of, of the little boy who got in trouble who would not stay in his seat at, at, at Sunday school, and they kept getting on to him and kept saying, stay in your seat, stay in your seat, stay in your seat. And they finally had to get his daddy to come in and threaten and say, if you don't sit down, you're going to have to face surround. You've got to sit down. And little Johnny, it's always Johnny. Apologies if your name is Johnny, but it's always Johnny who does it. And, and little Johnny finally sat down and he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> he had some actions that did not match the attitude. Holiness is obedience, but holiness is more than obedience. Holiness involves the attitude behind the obedience. You know, it's possible for you to obey God without pleasing God. And listen, obedience is not the goal. Pleasing God is the goal. Obedience is how we please God. Obedience is not the end. Pleasing God is the end purpose. Remember the Pharisees? Jesus looked at them one day, many days he said this to them or something similar, and he said, your, your, your mouths confess me, and, and with your lips you're close to me, but your heart is far from me. Before our actions can change, our attitude has to change. So I want to ask you, do you desire to walk in holiness with your heavenly Father so that he is pleased? Walking in holiness involves the right attitude behind obedience, and it also involves the right actions that reflect obedience. As Paul spent the first few verses in this chapter, it's clear that God's desire is for your sanctification, your holiness. He says in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Look, you don't have to pray and ask if it's God's will for you to live sanctified. You ain't gotta, God's already told you that's his will. That's his plan for our lives. It's important to remember <coughs> something about this sanctification slash holiness, just because you possess it doesn't mean that you live it out. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus, you place your faith in him, and, 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 and God establishes a relationship between you and himself through Jesus. Jesus gives you holiness. Your job's to live from that holiness. Your job is to make decisions that reflect obedience to God. The concept is simple, but it's so very difficult to practice. When making decisions, choose that which pleases God. Choose that which honors God. Choose that which glorifies God. Figure out what God wants and do it. It sounds simple, doesn't it? But man, what a challenge it is, or at least for me to do what I know God wants me to do. But that's walking in holiness. Now you say, that sounds difficult, and it is. That's why it's important to realize this, that walking in holiness also involves the right application of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is just like the holiness that God gives you. The Holy Spirit is given to you, but now you have to rely upon him. You have to apply his presence in your life. This seems difficult to walk in holiness. How can I have the right attitude, especially on days when my attitude stinks? 
How can I choose holiness when I have a PhD in SIN? How can I honor God when I know my life is messed up and jacked up? How can I walk in holiness? Look at what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in verse 8. He says, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God. God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Listen. God will never call you to something that he will not equip you to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the power of you. Not the power that you find in yourself from looking within. But God will never ask you to do something that the Holy Spirit will not empower and enable you to do. When you sense the Holy Spirit leading you, follow him. That is God's desire for you, is to walk this day in holiness. Will you walk that way? Second, not just holiness, but make it your goal to walk in harmony. Look at what he says in verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to walk in harmony. Paul discusses brotherly love and how God has taught us to love one another. He's referring to living in unity and harmony with each other. As a Southern Baptist evangelist, his name is Freddie Gage, and he, he passed away several years ago, but he was uh, a Southern Baptist evangelist back several decades ago. And he made this statement one time in a sermon. He said, the Christian army is the only army that shoots and buries its wounded. Would you let that sink in? The Christian army is the only army that when one of them gets wounded, one of them makes a mistake in life, one of them messes up, instead of being helpful and healing, we're the only army that shoots our wounded. What an indictment upon the church of Jesus. What an indictment upon the people of God. Now, I've got a selfish reason for wanting you to, to walk in harmony. That what we're, we're, I'm starting year seven as your pastor. And all the people who study church life say that year seven is the worst one. I'm not lying. They say that uh, what that means is <clears throat> you're going to not like me uh, at certain points during this next year. And uh, I'm going to frustrate you during this next year more than I've ever frustrated. No, I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Uh, exciting, right? <clears throat> Happy New Year. Uh, we we got to be careful <laughs> to walk in in, in harmony one with another. Walking in harmony doesn't mean that we agree on everything. It does mean that we don't allow disagreements to disrupt us from the mission to which God has called us to participate. Here's why walking in harmony, here's why this brotherly love is so important because of the message it sends to the world. One of the most fascinating things that I believe Jesus ever said was when he prayed for us. And this prayer is recorded in John chapter 17. It's going to be on your screen. Look at what Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He said, I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through that word. That's me and you. We have believed in Jesus through their word. 
This is what Jesus prays for us. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, harmony, unified, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. One of the most surefire ways for the world to know the love of Jesus for them is to see the love of Jesus among his followers. We have the same Lord, the same mission, and we're part of the same family. What we have in common as followers of Jesus is greater than anything that would cause division among us as followers of Jesus. Think about your physical family. Every family has an oddball, don't they? Do they not? Some of you have several oddballs, right? But you know what you do? You love the oddballs anyway, because you know what? At some phase in life, you're the oddball. And you're going to need people to love you. And every family, there's some dysfunction. And every family, there is some brokenness. But in Jesus, we're called to walk in harmony with one another. So we walk in holiness. We're, we're, we're challenged by Paul to walk in harmony. Number three, make it your goal to walk in helpfulness. I ain't going to lie to you. Remember, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it, okay? Paul goes from preaching to meddling in verses 11 and 12. Look at what he said. That we are to aspire to live quietly to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, <clears throat> so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You, this year, any year, you will either be a hindrance to people or you will be a help to people. And Paul says that the way to honor God is to walk in a way that helps people. How do you live a life of helpfulness? How do you not be a hindrance to other people? Paul spells it out pretty plainly. The person who lives a helpful life knows when to stop talking. Now, the real verbiage I want to use is knows when to shut up. <laughs> he says, live quietly. Listen. And I figure if I'm going to take you off, I might as well do it on January 1st, okay? Just because you think it doesn't mean you should say it. <laughs> and just because you can say it doesn't mean that you should say it. As Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 21, those who guard their mouths and their tongues, they keep themselves from calamity. A wonderful prayer for all of us to pray this year is, Lord, will you teach me when to shut up? Will you teach me when to stop talking and start doing? 
helpful people knows they know when to stop talking. The person who lives a helpful life also minds their own business. He says, mind your own <coughs> affairs. Sticking your nose in other people's business is not helpful. Engaging in every Facebook debate and Twitter war isn't necessary. That doesn't mean that you don't intervene when someone is in trouble or when someone needs help. It means that you don't get involved just because you think you have a right to know everything about everybody. In fact, here's a good challenge. Handle your own affairs before you start trying to fix somebody else's. This is Paul writing. I'm just extrapolating, all right? Helpful people know when to stop talking. Helpful people mind their own business. The person who lives a helpful life serves others. He says, work with your hands. <coughs> a guaranteed way to become a helpful person, not a hindrance, is to offer your hands in service to the kingdom of God, to the church, and to the community. If there is something that needs to be done, if there is something that you don't like about your family of God, instead of complaining about it, start contributing to it. If you don't think that your church does a good enough job reaching out to the community, come up to the food pantry and start passing out food. Go rock a baby in the nursery. Go invest in the life of a student. Write a note of encouragement to a senior adult. Volunteer to lead in preschool worship. Sign up to sing in the choir. Come up here on a Saturday and pick up trash that's in the parking lot. Drop by the hospital and pray for someone who is sick. Go up to somebody on a Sunday and just speak encouragement. My goodness, some of y'all will take to Facebook and you will post the most horrible, Eeyore-ish, Debbie Downer stuff I ever read in my life. Instead of doing that, why don't you use that mechanism to encourage someone? Do something that will help someone else. Work. Work. With your hands, just, he didn't say, work with your tongue by complaining and gossiping and biting. He said, work with your hands. After you've lived a quiet life and as you're minding your own business, I would make my family's life much easier if I do that. You'd make your family's life, you'd make your pastor's life much easier <laughs> if we'd follow the advice and live a helpful life. Would you just imagine the life change that would happen around you this year if you decided to walk down a path every day that helped somebody? And the fourth final goal that I think Paul lays out to us, make it your goal to walk in hope. Now, Paul ends chapter 4 by discussing the coming of the Lord which is a conversation he continues in chapter 5 before he closes his letter. I do not have enough time to walk through verses 13 through 18, 
nor do I fully understand everything connected to the coming of the Lord. You know, I, I don't know that, that God intends for us to be able to chart everything out day by day about the return of the Lord. I think there's a lot of that that is a mystery for our purpose so that we keep our faith in God. However, what I do understand <coughs> from Paul's words in this text gives me hope. Oh, don't miss what he said. Paul says that Jesus is going to return personally. He says in verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Jesus will return personally. He is returning himself. When he comes to get his people from this earth, he is not going to send a representative. He's not going to send a fill-in. When he returns for the saints still alive, he is coming for them himself. That gives me hope that Jesus himself is on the way. He's going to return personally. He's going to return powerfully. Look at what verse 16 says. With a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, his return will be the greatest event that the world has ever seen after his resurrection. It's going to be a powerful, powerful event that will grab the attention of all those still remaining. So he's going to return personally. He's going to return powerfully. Oh, but my friends, he's going to return permanently. Verse 17 says, and so we will always be with the Lord. There are some things that we can know about heaven, but there are a lot of things that we don't know. However, the only thing I believe that we really need to know about heaven is that wherever it's located in this space that God has created and whatever it looks like, we will be with the Lord. Listen, if we're not with Jesus, we're not in heaven. At the end of our lives, if we're not with Jesus, we're not in heaven. The presence of Jesus and our presence with Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. And Paul teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when we enter the Lord's presence, we will be with Jesus forever. Forever. And that gives us hope. Look, if I know, I'm transparent and real with you on January. That's one of my goals, to be honest with you, okay? Not that one of my goals was to lie to you in the past, whatever. <laughs> Knowing that Jesus is going to return, that hope that it gives me enables me to put up with whatever happens today. Knowing that Jesus is returning, the hope that it gives us enables us to endure whatever we go through in this life. No wonder Paul ended his chapter by saying, encourage one another. Be encouraged with these words. You are walking one way or another on this day in this new year. Why not walk in a way that pleases God? Why not walk in holiness? Walk in harmony? Walk in helpfulness? And walk in hope? 
will you walk this way? Because this way is the way of Jesus. This way is the way that is with Jesus. This way is the way that honors and pleases God. And you can walk out of this building walking this way today. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray for us, we're going to have a time of commitment in which we simply offer you the opportunity to respond to however God might have moved in your life today. You can respond right where you're sitting. You can come to this altar and pray. If there is a decision you need to talk with me about, a next step that you need to take, if you have questions about what it means to, to walk after Jesus in salvation or to walk after him in baptism, whatever it might be that God is placing upon your heart today, we just want to give you this opportunity to respond to him. Father, I thank you that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I'm thankful that he walked a certain way and that he calls us to follow him. Father, I can think of no better day to pledge ourselves to you, to recommit ourselves to you than the first day of a new year. And so I pray today that we would do just that. Whatever you're calling us to do, may we simply say yes. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.